my message this morning is uh, through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. And as you know, we've been looking at Galatians 5, which is this amazing um, core kind of verse that Paul lands on after explaining a whole lot of stuff to the Galatians about uh, freedom and the freedom that we have in the gospel. And um, in this portion this morning, I'd just like to read verse 13 to verse 15 uh, as a start. He says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And uh, just to reflect a little bit, um, if you look at what we've studied so far in Galatians over the last couple of months, there are really three big sections, and we've, we've kind of looked at these three sections in turn. The first section is from chapter 1, verse 11, through to chapter 2. And in that section, Paul, he really takes some time just to, to kind of bring his credentials as an apostle, who he is, why he's saying what he's saying. And then Galatians 2, 15, through to chapter 5, verse 12, that's where Paul lays out his case for the gospel. He lays out why he's, he believes in the freedom that Christ has brought. And as you know, we've been talking about these bullies, these legalists that's come, come into the church, and they're trying to get these guys to go back to uh, a mosaic view of the world, uh, the law of Moses. And Paul has been standing up to them and trying to get the Galatians to find courage that they don't go back to that um, point of view. He's been saying, all you need is Jesus and you don't need anything else. And that's what he's been trying to convince them of and bring them back to. And we've looked at that in detail. And last week I, I, I said to you that that first verse of, of chapter 5, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, is really a summary of the whole book. And uh, I said to you also that there's an encouragement for us to stand firm in that freedom, that it can be robbed from us because we can give in to legalism and uh, a moral code in our own lives instead of living by the Spirit. And Paul says, don't do that. And so the encouragement to the Galatians is the same for you and I. Let's not give up our freedom. Let's stand firm in the freedom that Christ has won for us. And then I had a look also and just said to you, there are some advantages to knowing Jesus that come as we walk by the Spirit. He teaches us. We can find the mind of Christ. Uh, he does all those things for us. And that's the advantages that we have as we walk by the Spirit. But I also introduced a question to you last week, which I'd like to explore a little bit further this morning. And um, it was this. Can our freedom be misused? Can we misuse our freedom? Um, and I, I could put it another way. How does the gospel, this message of freedom, how does it promote a, a, a godly life? How does it help us to live a godly life? And Paul is such a brilliant teacher that he spends the remainder of this book unpacking that, an answer to that very question. This message of freedom, if we are truly free, if all we need to do is believe, how does it help us to live a godly life? And um, it's a vital thing for us to understand because it really is the heart of the Christian uh, walk. And so I'm going to spend a, today just looking at that question again. Um, you might say to me, and this gospel message that you preach, this message that you're preach, preaching to us, it's too much, there's too much grace in it. You don't talk about sin enough. You don't talk about holiness enough. Are you sure you're preaching the, the, right, the, the, the correct message? It's too, too much grace, too much freedom. Um, you know, if you, if you do say that to me, then I, I would answer in this way and just say, 
that people said the same thing about Paul. People said the same thing about Jesus. <laughs> they said, you're always hanging out with the wrong kind of people. You're not very religious, Jesus. Why do you do that? Why do you hang out with the sinners instead of with the upright, righteous, uh, religious folks? And I put it to you that unless the gospel that we preach and unless the, the way we live so shocks people with grace, graciousness towards others, then we haven't really yet fully understood the gospel that Paul is trying to get us to understand. And so, in a real sense, it's a test for my preaching. Because unless my preaching gets this accusation, I don't think I'm really yet preaching the gospel. If any preacher preaches a message of salvation by being a good person, salvation by good works, salvation by anything other than the grace of God, it is not really the gospel of Jesus. And so, no one would accuse such a person of who preached a message like that of being a licentious person if, um, if you are preaching salvation by works. So, let me put it another way. Unless you are tempted to say, unless you are never tempted to say, and is the message that you preach not encouraging sin, then I'm not yet preaching the gospel. And I'm not trying to encourage you to sin either. But unless my preaching gets an accusation, I'm not yet preaching the gospel. I don't say that alone. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most famous preachers that this nation has ever pr produced, said this. If your salvation message, if your preaching of salvation has not been misunderstood, then you have not yet preached the gospel and you better examine your sermons again. That's what Lloyd-Jones said. If your preaching never gets this accusation, it's too gracious, it's too forgiving, it is too kind, it can't be that good, then you're not yet preaching the gospel. And yet, having said all of that, and I believe that absolutely with all of my heart, here in these verses, Paul makes a vital appeal to us all who believe that gospel for godliness. And he not only makes the appeal, he tells us the way towards godliness. And he simply says, you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh, but through love, serve one another. It's amazing how he can be so succinct in a couple of sentences. And so let me just again remind you and define what I said last week. We are called to freedom. Christians are called to freedom. And what I mean by that is this. It's a freedom from condemnation. It's a freedom from guilt. It's a freedom which also includes fear from eternal punishment. That is what we celebrate when we say we are free in Christ. That's what it means in detail. So, I want to say to you kindly, if you are scared of dying because you are scared of facing God in eternity, that is not freedom. If we are not... If we, if we are not looking at eternity in our hearts and saying, Jesus, I know I'm going to be welcomed into your arms because I believe in you. And we can't die with that kind of assurance and bravery. We do not yet fully know the gospel of Jesus. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you've got any fear in your heart about death, let God minister to you this morning. <laughs> he doesn't want you to be afraid of dying. You can die literally with a smile on your face knowing that you're going to be welcomed into heaven by your Father with a kind smile upon His face 
simply because you believe in His Son. Not on how you perform during your life. And all of us go through times in our life where we perform well, and, we, and we're feeling good about ourselves, and other times in our lives where we don't perform very well, and we're not feeling good about ourselves. How God sees you is not based on your performance, it's based on what Jesus has done for you. So I want to encourage you, if there's any one of you this morning who has fear about dying, God wants to remove that fear from you. So you can die well, and you can live well. Secondly, we're not only free, set free from guilt and condemnation, but from the realm of sin. You've heard me say this before. When you go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when you believe in Jesus, you never go back. You never straddle the two. You never kind of half in the kingdom of darkness and half in the kingdom of light. When you are saved, you are removed altogether from the realm of sin. And you move completely into the realm of light. And the realm of light is God's grace. It's His kingdom of grace. We don't live under the, the, the rule of sin anymore. We are absolutely removed out of the sin, rule of sin and we're put into the rule of God's grace in our lives. So what it, that's what it means to live in the kingdom of light. And so that means that um, you can say no to certain things because you're not under the power of sin anymore. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You are under the kingdom of God's grace in your life which enables you to say no to some things. That's, that's a good good news. And so, I've said this to you, and I want to say it again, that also means that we're free from the sm- what I would call the small illegalisms in our lives of living under human laws and expectations and regulations. That's what we've been set free from, all that stuff. And so I'm not encouraging you to go and break the rules of the road and say so that you're free from... from uh, man's rules. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm I'm saying uh, the other kind of expectations that we can put on each other and say, if you do this, I will do that. And if you behave like this, I will accept you. And if you don't behave like that, I won't accept you. We're free from that kind of legalism. Yeah? Of course we must obey the rules of the road, all right? I'm not saying we mustn't. You got me? Absolutely. And so we're set free from all of that, but we are also set free for something. We set free from something, and we set free for something. And what we are set free for is a life of godliness. That's what Paul is saying. If the grace of God has touched you, you're set free from prison, where you are enslaved and imprisoned to sin, and you are set free to live differently. You are set free to live a godly life. And so we are set free from sin, we're set free from the devil, we can walk in freedom. And the best kind of illustration that I can can um, use is it's like prison. You're under a sentence. And when Jesus comes into your life, you're set free from prison and you leave all of that behind you. But at the same time, when you walk out of prison, you are set into a whole new freedom. And your life is completely different. And you are living according to a completely different set of values that are not the prison values. They are freedom values. That's what it means to live in the kingdom. You are set free to completely live uh, a different way. And so my second point to you then is simply that our freedom, this wonderful freedom that we have in Jesus, must be used in the right way. So the question is, now that we're free, now that we're out of prison, how do we use that freedom? And Paul tells us quite clearly um, that we're not condemned, but that doesn't mean that we use our freedom to indulge 
ourselves and as the starting point of temptation. He says, no. In fact, he says exactly the opposite. He says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And so, it's a good question to say, well, why doesn't Paul say, love everybody? Uh, He says, first of all, we need to love those in the body of Christ. And why does he say that? Does it mean that we don't love people outside of the body of Christ? No. We love, first of all, we love each other in the body of Christ because that's where we start to learn how to love people is in the body of Christ. And we get to practice loving people in the body of Christ. And we get to learn how to handle people that irritate us in the body of Christ. You don't see the world quite like we do in the body of Christ. So that once we've learned the lesson in the body of Christ, we can go out into the world and we can meet all sorts of people that don't see the world like us, that don't see, have a value system like us, and we can love them. <laughs> so we start in the body of Christ, and then we move outside into the world. And that's what pleases God. It is true that God's law and... Um, uh, Ed is going to look at this in a couple of weeks' time. Psalm 1. What, is it, what does David mean when he says, I love your law, O God, with all of my heart? What does that mean? So we're going to look at that as well. But God's law it really is an expression of his heart and his nature. But it's also true that because of God's grace to us, we want to please God and we want to obey his law because we love him. Not because we are fearful, not because we are fearing a penalty if we don't, but simply because we love him. And that's why Paul says in verse 13, you know the the love of God, if you know the grace of God shown to you in Jesus. And then he he asks this question, well, why would you want to use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature if you know the love of Jesus? I think the wonderful thing that I'm discovering about the gospel is that the good news of of Jesus is that it devours, it it, uh, eats your very desire that you have for sin. If you truly understand Jesus, you don't want to sin. If you truly understand what God has done for you through the, the Holy Spirit in the, in the person of Jesus, there's something inside of you that doesn't want to give in to that sinful thing in your life. Let me use, a, Helen said to me the other day, I must try and use more practical examples. So here's a very practical example. What about lying? How many of you have lied in your life? Okay, if you're not putting up your hand right now, you are lying right now. Okay, we've all lied. On the one hand, this is what the, the gospel, freedom of the gospel means this. You do not lose your salvation if you lie. Jesus does not love you any less if you lie. You are really, this is what I'm saying, this is the wonder of the gospel. You are free from the penalty of your lie in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did for you. That's amazing. Now, if you're trying to live your life in a perfectly honest way, all the time, in order to win God's favor and feel the smile of God on your life, when you slip up, when you say something that is not quite true, you are going to be devastated if your view of God is based on your performance of how you're living. When you lie, you're going to feel absolutely terrible. And I'm not saying... I'm trying to get you to feel good about lying. Just hear me out here. And what I'm trying to say is, the gospel doesn't condemn you when you lie. But this is the other question that we need to ask. Let's rather ask this question. Why do I feel the need to lie? 
That's the, the question we need to ask. Why do we feel the need to lie? Well, normally, I would say it's because of this. We need something that we face losing if we tell the truth. What I mean by that? Normally, people lie because they want to be liked by people, because they, get a, they want a sense of approval, because they want to be popular, because they want to feel like they are, uh, there's a sense, they've got a sense of significance that they, they, they're trying to go after. And so they'll tell a lie in order to feel significant and popular and accepted by everybody. Yeah? So what I'm saying, at that moment when we do that, we are really saying that we're trusting in that thing to be our Savior rather than Jesus. That's how practical it is. So our desire to be popular, our desire to have other people's approval or whatever... At that point, that is our functional saviour. It's the thing that we're looking to, to save us. But when you begin to understand the gospel, when you be, understand what Jesus has done for you, what the grace of God has done for you, then you begin to live from this place. And I I'm I'm, I'm, hope I'm encouraging this morning. Jesus loves me just as I am. Jesus loves me even if I'm not popular with everybody else. Jesus loves me perfectly right now, and I get my significance from Jesus, from what He says about me, not what people say about me. And therefore, I don't need to lie to anyone to be more popular or to seem to be more significant, because in the eyes of Jesus, I am already incredibly significant, and He loves me just as I am. It takes away the desire to lie in order to make yourself look good, if you understand that Jesus already is smiling on you and saying, you are perfect and wonderful and I love you with all of my heart. That's how practical the gospel is, you see. So we simply can tell the truth because there's no need to lie. <laughs> because God loves us just as we are, perfectly. So, it is true that the gospel does free us completely from all those penalties, but if we truly understand the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we can then begin to ask this question, how can I more fully live for him? It's another question, isn't it? How can I fully live for him? And so, Paul gives us a clue, and he says, thirdly, this is my third point, and um, I'll be finished in the next ten minutes. He says, all of the law... All of those rules and regulations, all of those things that the, the Jews focused on, remember, 2,000 rules and regulations that they focused on. Jesus says, all of the law is summarized and fulfilled in one thing. All we need to do if we're walking by the Spirit is to focus on one thing. That's all we have to do. What is the one thing? Through love, serve one another. Jesus says, if you're doing that, if through love you are serving other people, you fulfill all of the law. Isn't that beautiful? All we have to do is love each other. That's what we get to do. We get to cooperate by the Holy Spirit. We love God with all of our heart and we love each other and we fulfill the law. And so, in a real sense, we've been freed from the law, but we fulfill the law as we just love people and walk by the Spirit. It is so simple, and that's what uh, Paul says. The one thing on which we focus is serving each other through love. Yeah? Lastly, if you are continually quarrelsome in your life, if you're always fighting with everybody, I put it to you, that's a sign of legalism in your life. 
If you're always fighting and quarreling, if you always have to get your own way, if you always have to have your view on everything as the best, the highest view of everything, I put it to you that it's a sign that still inside there's a little bit of legalism that needs to be dealt with. And I'm not accusing anyone, I speak to myself. Why? Because Paul says this, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by each other. And we learn something here that we haven't seen before in what Paul is saying. Um, You see, the Galatians, they had begun to look back to the law of Moses. And as they began to look back at the law of Moses, what have they started to do? They've started to fight and quarrel. (laughs) They've started to get more quarrelsome as they've looked back to the law. You see, legalism always does that. It always produces quarreling. (laughs) So these legalistic teachers had come into the church, and they'd said to the people, in essence, if you live according to the law of Moses, you are going to be holy, and you're going to be loving. And it's going to be good for all of you if you live under the law. And actually what had happened was exactly the opposite. The more they considered living under the law, the more they started to fight and quarrel with each other in the church. (laughs) And Paul says, if you carry on like that, you're going to consume each other. You're going to bite and devour each other if you carry on like that. And this is what I found in, in, in many years of being in churches. This is the interesting thing. The law always promises, living by rules, always promises what it can't deliver. It promises this to you. If you follow the rules, it's going to be good in your life. If you follow the rules, it will go well with you. That's what the law promises. If you just do the Ten Commandments, it's going to go well with your life. If you just tithe, God is going to bless you. All that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about. But I found this, that legalistic people are always more quarrelsome than unlegalistic people. (laughs) Legalistic people are always more quarrelsome than those that are not legalistic. Why is that? Because the law always produces fighting. You see, if your system, whatever, even if it's your own system that you put on others, if that is the highest thing that you value, when people break your rules, you're going to get upset. (laughs) isn't it? And so that's why Paul says, he says, don't do that, don't live like that, don't fight and devour each other like that. Don't embrace that thing that never makes you more godly, it just makes you more quarrelsome. You think that you're going to be more godly if you live like that, but actually it just makes you fight with people. Don't fight with people. Live by the higher law, the law of love. Love one another. Serve one another. You fulfill all of what God requires of you when you love each other. And so the truth is that these Galatians think they are being more spiritual as they are embracing the law. Actually, they're just becoming more and more critical and they're backsliding into harshness and criticism more and more and more. And they're fighting with each other. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be part of a church like that. Do you want to ever, would you want to be a part of a church that's always fighting about stuff? No, of course not. We want to live by the Holy Spirit. We want to love each other. We want to have a good time. We want to have fun. Come on now, this is good news. That's why it's the gospel. Jesus says you don't have to live by those things. You live by my spirits. And as you do, life is easy. It's joyful. What did I say last week? He says, my burden is light. It's not heavy, it's light. And so I put it to you, and I finish with this, that um, love doesn't always insist on its own way. 
We know that, 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't criticize others, tries to minister to others. Love starts in the church and it moves out to touch everybody that it can. And our part and our cooperation with the Holy Spirit is that we are, we are called to help set people free, to help unchain people. What did Jesus say, Isaiah? I have come to preach good news to the poor and to set the captive free. That means to unchain people with things that are binding them up. That's what the privilege that, of what we get to do as believers in Jesus. And so we also get to share our food with the hungry. And we, always, we also get to, those that need clothes, we, we get to uh, clothe them. We get to welcome the refugee into our homes, into our communities. Why? Because we are sharing that freedom that Christ is for us with other people. That's what we get to do. And that's how we use our freedom, by serving each other in love, in a way that brings freedom to others. And Paul simply says, when we do that, all of the law is being fulfilled. All that God has for us is being fulfilled. And so, I just think it's an incredible privilege and an amazing journey to be part of, that we get to live like this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I certainly don't have it perfect. I, I certainly don't have it perfect at all. But what I am trying to say to you is that we can encourage each other, we can link arms with each other, we can say this is how we determine to live. We determine to live by the power of the Spirit. We determine to live um, with the highest goal of our hearts, and that is loving God and loving each other. And that's how we're going to live, simply like that. And as we do that, we please God in every way. Amen? Let's stand, and we're going to pray. to pray in terms of relationships because working out loving our neighbor is loving those who are closest to us in our families, um, in, in our workplace, or, or those who are wherever your neighbor, whoever your neighbor is to you. And then I don't know who for you right now the Lord is putting on your heart. So maybe it's an, a relationship that you, God wants you to just find grace for that relationship and to be set free to love that person. Um, in a way that you can minister to them and serve them. So I, I just want to pray, maybe if you just want to hold your hands out, whatever it is for you, just ask the Lord to come and bring grace into that area, into that relationship. And Father, I want to thank you that um, you come and you empower us in our ability to love others. We thank you that love um, is something that is supernatural from you. We can love to a measure in our own strength. But you give us that overcoming love. You give us the love that goes the extra mile. You give us love that is be, enables us to put aside our own agendas, our own desires, to see the good of another person come to be. And I pray, Father, for us, each of us, Lord, in the different relationships that you are building and developing in our lives. I pray for grace, Lord, that we wouldn't mediate our relationships with rules, but that we would be able to relate to one another as you relate to us, with acceptance, with kindness, with healthy boundaries, Lord. 
And we pray that you would show us how to find grace in these relationships. We ask that in Jesus' name. Thanks, Helen. Let's just uh, take a moment to respond. And uh, I'm going to ask Clive just to lead us in a song. And as we worship you, you just let God speak to you and uh, respond in your heart to what he's been saying to you this morning. And uh, let's just finish our time by focusing on, on Jesus as we worship him now.